I love a good story. I don't know about you. I'm a story guy. If you have a great story to tell, I'll hear it, and then I'll try to one-up it with a great story even, you know. No, <laughs> no maybe I'm the only one like that, right? But, uh, but I love great stories. I love telling great stories. I love being a part of a great story. I want my life to be a great story. And so I, I gather stories. I love uh, the power of just hearing what God did and what people did. And, and so I want to give you just a couple of great stories as we get started here of great rescues. Let's see if you can recognize these great rescues. I'm going to throw a slide up here and see if you recognize it. That's a famous picture. It is about, uh, from 1945, World War II, the Great Raid. The Great Raid. Some of you are historians and you know that. It's uh, the most epic and complex mission of World War II. In January 1945, 121 volunteer U.S. Army Rangers set out to rescue more than 500 Allied prisoners of war who had already survived the Bataan Death March, a brutal multi-day forced walk through a searing heat of the Philippine jungles. Thousands of men had died, and those who didn't were imprisoned in a brutal camp. Uh, and I'm not going to try to say the name of the camp. It's Kabun. I am going to try and say it. Kabunatuan. But to free their fellow soldiers, the Rangers snuck behind enemy lines and launched a surprise attack. The assault lasted 30 minutes and freed hundreds of soldiers with minimal American casualties. The mission was chronicled in the uh, 2002 bestseller, Ghost Soldiers, and uh, it is the, one of the most famous military rescue missions of all time. And I love the story because hundreds of people in, it went behind enemy lines and launched a surprise attack. Why? To rescue their comrades who needed rescuing. I love great stories. How about this slide? Maybe you'll recognize this one. Some of you are now drawing a little connection there, right? Some of you think Tom Hanks is in there. That shows your age. <laughs> That's Apollo 13. It's uh, astronaut James Lovell. Uh, and uh, what was amazing about this story was these guys were, they, they were stuck and everyone had to come together to help rescue them. And NASA, they, they were afraid they're gonna lose their first people in space and they didn't. We got those boys home. It was an incredible rescue story. They landed in the water. That's an epic shot of them getting rescued. I love a good rescue story. How about this one? This one will show your age a little bit if you recognize it. Baby Jessica, yeah, someone recognized it right away. Remember when baby Jessica fell in a well? It was a big, huge story. Um, it was like, I don't know, maybe 30 years ago now. It's 26 years ago. Um, she was an 18-month-old baby, and she fell in an eight-inch wide abandoned well, and she fell down 22 feet, 22 feet. Her mom was answering the phone, and then her daughter was just gone. And rescuers were, were there. CNN filmed the entire thing, and uh, they were able to dig down there. Not only did she survive, but when she turned 25, she received an $800,000 trust fund, which was donated by viewers of CNN who just wanted to help her out. And so, so that's, a, that's an amazing rescue story. Everyone came together. The baby fell in a well. That's crazy, but uh, happened, and they, they got her out. That's a good one. Let's see if you recognize this one. One more. Yeah, right? He landed. He landed. Captain Sully, right? Sullenberg. Um, uh, this was 2009. Flight 1549 was cleared for takeoff uh, to New York's LaGuardia, and it hit a flock of geese at 2,800 feet. And so if you didn't already think geese were a useless animal, 2,800 feet, right? As, uh, as altitude decreased and airspeed, the pilot in command, uh, Captain Sullenberg, a former U.S. Air Force fighter pilot, and First Officer Jeffrey Skiles, they tried to turn back towards LaGuardia, but they were already too low. They were able to land right there. Everyone on board, 150 passengers, three flight attendants, and the pilots survived 
Um, they called it the most successful ditching, which is landing a plane that way, uh, in aviation history. So I love a good story. Like, I don't know. I, we always clap in this, and I'm like, this is just amazing. They're in the water. That's insane. Just get your mind around that. Imagine, I'm not afraid to fly, but that, that's a thing. I have to think about. That picture is now in my head forever, so let it be in your head also. So we get to Ephesians chapter 2 and the text that you heard read as, a, as the video played. And I want you to understand, first and foremost, this is a rescue mission. This is an epic rescue mission. It's the most epic rescue mission in the history of the world. And Paul wants those folks who have sprung up and begun to serve Jesus to understand the impact of what God has done by initiating this incredible rescue mission. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just walk us through this text this morning because of time. I, I just want to move fast. But I want you first to just understand what were we rescued from. Here's the thing. If someone comes up to me and says, you know, hey, are you saved? My initial thinking is, okay, that's a, that's a weird way to start this conversation, but I know what you're talking about. My second thinking is, if I didn't know what you were talking about, my question to you would be, saved from what? Like, saved from hunger? Saved from, you know, is someone attacking me that I don't know about? Do you know something I don't know? Is my name on some stalker? Like, what is the, what is the thing I'm saved from? And so Paul wants this church that has sprung up, these believers who he's not necessarily ever interacted with, he wants this letter to go from church to church, from house to house. Eventually, all of us will hear this story so that we have an understanding that this was a rescue mission and we got saved. God came for us. He came for you. He came for me. And it was a rescue mission. So what in the world did he save us from? Paul says, well, as for you, that's all of us. You were dead in your transgressions and your sins. It says you were dead in your transgressions. Now, transgressions is a weird word. It's where we get the word trespass. Some scriptures will say trespasses in sin. And we get a better picture of trespass than transgression because I understand what trespassing is. Trespassing is there's a sign and there's a territory, an area that I'm not allowed to go to. And if I'm on this side, I'm okay. But if I'm on this side... I've crossed over into a territory I'm not supposed to be. And there's potential consequences. Depending on what neighborhood you live in, there could be dogs, firearms, um, all kinds of things could get involved because I've trespassed. There's now consequences. So what Paul is articulating to this group of people who've heard the story of Jesus, heard about a savior who showed up to personally rescue them. He wants them to understand what in the world they got rescued from. They had trespassed. They had gone out of bounds. Paul's saying every single soul on this planet before Jesus was out of bounds from God's plan and to connect to God in their life. He's saying you were dead. The consequences were death. You needed to get in bounds with God. You were dead in your transgressions, in your trespasses, and in your sins. The second thing he says, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. There's so much there. 
But here's, let me chew that up for you and spit it out so you get it quick. He says, hey, you were saved, not just from the fact that you were out of bounds with God, that you had distance between a holy and perfect God and an unholy and imperfect you. Not just that, the other thing you got rescued from is you used to just think the way the world thinks. You were just okay with whatever was popular in the moment and you've been rescued from thinking that way. You don't have to just go with the flow of whatever pop culture tells you is okay. The news doesn't tell us our morality. The laws don't change our beliefs. The system doesn't dictate how we think anymore. We've been saved from that. We have a new standard a better standard. We have God's standard. Isn't that good news? That's exciting. And so what's crazy to me is I always think this must be the worst time in the history of the world because I can, because we just know more than we used to know. We have access to more information than we used to have access to, but the world was always broken. Paul's saying there's always a group that just thought it was okay to oppress. There was always a group that just took everything they could and gave nothing back. There was all, those things were always the case, but something has been saved from you, for you. You don't have to think that way. You don't have to buy into that. You've been rescued. Dude, that's awesome. That's totally good news. It's like, we're not that anymore. We don't follow the world's advice on how to think or how to live. Thank you. I got that covered. Then he goes on to say, all of us. Is that you? Is that me? Mm -hmm. That's Paul saying I'm in that group. All of us lived among them at one time, just gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Just like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Again, I'm going to chew it up and spit it out for you because of time, but I just want you to catch this. He's saying, you're not who you used to be. When I met Jesus, I was an angry teenager. I was angry. Dad wasn't around. Stepdad was an alcoholic. I lived in just anger and fear and frustration. I felt like I got ripped off, and I was going to take that anger and use it, channel it for energy and power, and just use it to climb as high as I could. I don't care who I stepped on on the way. That's who I was. That's what fed me. All of us had a nature and have a nature that we got just from birth. And Paul's saying, you don't have to be who you've always been. The scriptures tell us if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I'm not driven by anger, by frustration, by feeling like I got ripped off. I'm not driven by those things anymore. I don't have to do that. I didn't get there by myself. I didn't just wake up and say, you know what? It's not fun being angry anymore. I wish I was that self-aware. I was not. It was a process and God got a hold of me and began to squeeze out that old nature. There were things I had to give up. This is a funny one, but I couldn't play football anymore. Like I loved playing football, but I only knew how to be the angriest guy out there. I wasn't the biggest or the fastest. And so I and I, and I wasn't going to sit the bench because that just was my personality. So I was going to get on the field by being the angriest, the meanest. I'd hurt my teammates. I'd hurt anybody in my way. And I, that was a simple thing. But I knew part of changing my nature. Now, some people can play, you know, football. I'm not saying everyone who plays football is, you know. I'm, I'm just saying for me, that's one of the ways that came out. I had to get out of certain environments that fed 
that thing in me that was my old nature. And you know what? I didn't miss it. The phone rang. God, we need you to come out. We need, you know. So you know what? I don't, I don't miss that. I'm not that guy anymore. I, I'm okay. That's what the new nature does. So Paul just eloquently and, and immediately sets out, I don't care if I've been rescued if I don't know what I've been rescued from. It's not that important to me, right? If you just walked up to, to me again and just said, are you saved? And I'm doing pretty good. I'll, what? Yeah, I'm cool. But if you explained, man, you've been out of bounds with God. You can be connected to God. If you explained to me, man, that nature in you that's killing you on the inside, God wants to make that new. If you came up to me and said, God can change the way you see the world. He can give you his eyes. He can adjust the, come on, the vantage point of what you see. And you can see what he sees. You can love what he loves. You can even do what he does. All of a sudden, you got my attention. And that's what Paul's explaining. He's saying, don't miss this amazing, amazing truth. That's where you were. That's where you were. The next thing he unpackages here is what exactly God did, and this is really cool. Did he go behind enemy lines? Did he launch a counterattack? Did angels show up and lightning bolts and there was a big explosion? What did he do? Verse four, Ephesians two, verse four. What did God do? What God did? It says, but because, now this is what's awesome. This, whenever the scriptures is like this and this and this, but because you should pay attention, you should underline, you should get your phone out and text it to yourself. I mean, this is, this is epically awesome, good news. However you engage with the word of God, you should highlight this. Verse four, it says, but because of his great love for us, what did God do? He initiated a rescue mission. Why? Because you deserved it? No. He did it because he loves you. That's crazy good news. For me, that was the ball game. Understanding that I had a father in heaven who loved me, get out of here. I never experienced anything like that before. My father on earth wasn't around. Why would a father in heaven love me? I was an accident, wasn't I? But understanding that my father in heaven loved me, not only did he love me, he loved me so much that he initiated a rescue plan for me, that he initiated contact with me. He cared enough about me to pursue me. That's, I mean, I could just, we could just leave. Some of you just need to hear, God cares enough about you to pursue you. That's incredible, to pursue you, that you have that kind of value to the creator of the universe. You're not just a pile of dust and then back to dust. He breathed life into you and it's valuable. God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive. He made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Remember, we had trespassed. And then catch this. Everyone has heard this if you've been to church, but it should just be in you. It is by grace that you've been saved. It says, and then God raises us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms of Christ Jesus. He's saying, because of what he did, he has elevated your position in the kingdom today. Not eventually, today. He's got you on the same stature as his son. That's crazy as far as the strategy goes. He comes in and he's like, here's what I'm gonna do. You're dead, I'm gonna make you alive and then I'm gonna raise you up with Jesus and I'm gonna seat you in the place of honor that he gets. 
in order that in the coming ages he may show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This isn't from yourself. It's the gift of God. Now, this is crazy. I was thinking about when you get rescued. I, uh, I run summer camps for years and years and years for teenagers, junior high and high school. And uh, I've done both separate junior high and high school, together junior high and high school. I've just done year after year after year after year of camp. It's just a thing that I've always done. It's awesome. Uh, I love it. But let me tell you a quick story about some of the ridiculous things that teenagers may do at a summer camp. So here's one of them. We're at a camp. It's in, uh, it's in Oregon. Some of you are here that have been to that camp. Out at this camp, uh, there's not much to do on this lake. It doesn't have a, like a diving board or a dock or anything like that. So we bring in these floating things that kids can climb on and jump off and you know, be reckless a little bit because it's camp. You gotta let them have some fun. And we have these out and it's the junior high week of camp. And I've brought lifeguards. I have two lifeguards out there watching the water. And I hear a whistle and I see a lifeguard, one of my pastors, his name's Jake, and he's out going to rescue someone. And he dives down in the water and he pulls this kid up. From, the, from underneath the water, out by this uh, floating dock thing. And he puts the, you know, they have that bar, like that Baywatch bar thing, you know, that they're on, let's get in slow motion. He's rescuing this guy. He pulls him out of the water. The kid's coughing. He gets him to the shore. And he's like, what happened to you? And the kid says, well, I can't swim. <laughs> now, I, I don't know when it is that your brain like comes online and you can start associating behaviors to consequences. I'm not sure when that is, but I watched Jake, who's just got grace and he's, you know, he's just got compassion, go, what were you thinking? Why are you out there? And he's like, well, that's where my friends are. So he just ran out into the water with no ability to swim. Now, here's the thing, what I want to get back to. When Jake jumped into the water to get this kid, he didn't get over to where the kid was and look down and say, okay, listen, we got to have a talk. Do you understand the consequences of drinking so much water and not breathing? Do you understand that there's a process to learn how to swim? Have you got these pieces together? Let me walk you through how to successfully get out to the floating dock. That's not what he did. He reached down and pulled him up. And some of us think that our encounter with God is going to be this process of him uh, explaining us into submission. And Paul says that's not what happens here. You were dead. You were lost. He came and initiated a rescue mission because we needed it. That's amazing. He didn't evaluate, well, I wonder if, you know, come on, this kid's not going far in life. <laughs> if at this age, he didn't like, he didn't measure it out. He believed immediately that there was value and he grabbed him and he pulled him up and that's what God does for us. He sees his kids. That was just a kid at camp. Imagine if it was your child and they were drowning. Would you stand over them and scold them? So you know what? You got to get your life in order. You got to battle out this things that, you know, are holding you back. You got to deal with your forgiveness or your addiction or your whatever it is. You got to process all that information first and then come to me. That's not what he does. He dives in the stinking water and pulls us out. 
and brings us to life. Not because we were so awesome, but because he loves us. I don't know about you, but I often feel like I'm just in the water doing this. God, come on. He doesn't scold me in that moment. He just looks at me and says, I got you, bud. I love you. You're my child. That's what God did. That's awesome. So Paul says it's grace that saves you through faith. So what's faith? So God, grace is God just doing it, and then God activates something in us called faith, and then we respond. Well, faith is, you know, we can go through a lot of scriptures here, but I'm just going to tell you, basically, faith is just believing that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he'll do. That's what it really comes down to. It's me saying, you know what, God? You are who you say you are, and you'll do what you say you'll do. I'm going to trust you. So we respond to the Father who pulls us up from death and say, all right, you're who you say you are. You'll do what you say you'll do. And we start walking with God. In Romans chapter 10, Paul, who previous to writing this in Ephesians, was explaining this. He says it this way, verse 9. Many of you heard this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. What is that? It's just saying in your heart, you make a decision to believe that God is who he says he is and he'll do what he said he'll do. In Acts chapter two, after Peter preaches and the Holy Spirit shows up and thousands of people are just moved by this understanding of who Jesus is, they say, what shall we do in response to this? And Peter replies, you repent you get baptized. That's what we do today. did today. Repent. We, we think of repent, and because we don't use the word repent in our regular language, unless you're in church, then we don't really have a context for rep- what repentance is. Repentance simply means you change your mind about what you think differently. And, and so we always think it's like, I, I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry because I understand that I think differently now. That's why when Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and it says, don't be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul's trying to articulate that there's something that happens when you recognize who God is. It changes. Remember, we just talked about being saved from this. I don't think the same way anymore. I, I, I actually value people. I don't use them. I actually love God. I don't try to manipulate him like a, like a uh, vending machine. If I just do this for him, he'll take care of me. I actually initiate a relationship with him. You repent, you change your mind, you get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise, I love this, it's for you and your children, and for all who are far off, and for all whom the Lord will call. That's us. That's amazing. So, where are we now? What then shall we say in response to all of this? Us, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. And then I'm going to get excited about this part. It's one of my favorite things in the whole scriptures. I say this all the time, but if you don't read the scriptures, it's like you have a last will and testament that someone put things in there for you, and you're not getting your inheritance, what you're entitled to, because you didn't open it and read it. All right, and so I'm not trying to shame you because I don't want to use shame. I'm going to go a step up from that and I'm going to try and guilt you. 
<laughs> and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be totally okay with trying to manipulate you to get what you're entitled to. It's yours. The promises are there. So read it. All right. Come back up from that for a second. Um, so where are we now? Paul says there's a rescue mission. We were dead. He dove in because he loves us. He pulled us out. So what's the current status? Let's begin again in verse 7. Ephesians chapter two, in order that in the coming ages he may show the incomparable riches of his grace. We are objects of God's affection that he's pouring out the riches of his grace into. It's expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He's being kind towards us. Verse eight, for, you have, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. This wasn't from yourself, it's the gift of God. Verse nine, catch this, not by works so that no one can boast. I mean, we can go round and round and round and round and round and round and round with this, but ultimately, you don't get to determine how much God loves you. Your behavior doesn't get to determine. Some of you who have kids understand this principle at least a, a little bit, right? They don't get to determine how much you love them. You just love them, right, JT? Your parents just love you. They just pour it out. Your behavior goes this way and that way, and because they love you, they correct you, and they give you boundaries, and they shake you maybe just a little, but they still love you, and they just pour it out. And your behavior doesn't raise the amount of love. It doesn't lessen the amount of love. You don't get, when the next kid was born, they didn't take half of their love and, and give it to them, and then, oh, then they thirded it on the, you know, they didn't do that. That's not how it works. They just love you. That's it. Isn't that awesome? That is such good news. And that's what Paul's explaining. You don't get to, you don't get to manipulate God into loving you more or less. He loves you. That's crazy good news. It takes away all of the sting of, I've disappointed God, I'm out. How dare we say that about God in heaven, that somehow we could manipulate him into loving us less. Oh, Pastor Mike, you don't know what I did. God knew what you were going to do, and he still breathed life into you. So I don't understand your argument, but I can tell you it's absurd. I don't know what your thing is, but I can tell you that if you believe that, you are deceived. And part of what God saved you from was so you can think differently. You can think about yourself even, what he thinks about you. It's the gift of God, not by work, so no one can boast. If you're boasting how awesome you are, um, you and I can have a recovery meeting afterwards. No, <laughs> Come on, we got to have some fun in church. Verse 10. Now, here's the thing. We always stop at verse 9 when we're reading this passage as far as just breaking it down because we want to talk about this principle in church about how you don't earn it. But there is more to the story. This is the why he did all of this. Verse 10, for we are God's handiwork. Some words say workmanship. Ultimately, that word right there, poema, the Greek word is also translated his masterpiece. I want you to get that in your head. If I, about every five messages bring this up, it's because it's this important for you to understand it. You are 
God's masterpiece. He designed you. He formed you. He shaped you. He built you. He intended for you to be here. You are not an accident. You are not assigned value based on some worldly structure. The God of the universe shaped and molded your skills, the way you think, the way you talk, the way you look. All of those things are part of the package that God initiated when he designed you. And he's like, this is awesome. You're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. And now here's the piece. You were created to do things. And that's cool. That's awesome. We need something to do. Otherwise, just take us to heaven and start the party. (laughs) But we're here. And we're excited that he designed us to do things. Doing those things doesn't make us make him love us more or less. It's just how we respond because we love him. And he designed us to do it. You were created in Christ to do good works and then which he prepared in advance for us to do. Those of you struggling with the why am I here? This is the answer. You're here because God in advance designed this moment for you to be in this place to do what you were designed to do. You're his masterpiece. Now, I get all mushy on this because it's just the reality of my life. It has changed my life to recognize that there was intention behind why I'm here. There's intention. God the Father initiated this whole thing called your life. Now, it's funny when it comes to masterpieces because I'll just be honest with you. I'm not an art guy, and so I don't know when I'm looking at a masterpiece or a child's drawing um, or just a blank piece of paper that I'm supposed to think is a masterpiece. Like, I don't really know how to tell the difference. And this is what gets hard for us is we don't always recognize a masterpiece when we see one. And let's be honest, what makes something a masterpiece? A lot of times things were designed and they certainly weren't masterpieces at the time. So what makes something a masterpiece? Well, how about this? Who made it? Who made it is a big piece. What is someone willing to pay for it? So let's take a look at your life and figure out what a masterpiece is. Who made you? What was he willing to pay? So you want to argue with me about value. I'm just telling you, The only way I know how to assign value, I can't assign a higher value than what I just assigned to you. I remember in my house growing up, uh, we had a room called the living room. And I don't know why we called it the living room, because you weren't allowed to live in there. (laughs) And we had in that room my dad's leather couches that he got when he was a bachelor and never sat in. And they remained in there through my entire childhood and adolescence. And there was like a 70s lamp in there that had like a tiger uh, colored bulb on it that was just like awesome, I guess. And we were never allowed to be in that room. And I remember coming home one day from school. I'm about 14, 15 years old. And there's new stuff in that room. I'm all excited. Whoa, the couches have moved. There's a wall and it's got like a light installed in this wall. And there's a picture on the wall. Now, there used to be just a mirror in there and that was it. There's a picture and there's this light and the light has a dimmer switch on it and it's a Kincaid, right? And so 
those of you that don't know what a Kincaid is, I didn't know what a Kincaid is, whatever. It changes color when you change the light, right? Like the lights get pop out of there or whatever. It's awesome, I guess. And I didn't know. I'm like, wow, what is this? And I remember my dad explaining, among the things you're not allowed to touch in this room, which is everything, this is the most thing you're not allowed to touch in this room because it has value. And not just does it have value now, it will only increase in value. I don't know if that's true about that particular picture or not, but that was what he told me. And he said, this is, this, and, and I remember thinking, so there's people who make things and they're awesome and we all agree they're awesome and they just get more awesome. So that's the picture I have in my head when I think of a masterpiece. God made you and you're awesome and you're only getting more awesome over time and more valuable as we go. You're God's workmanship designed for good things. Now, here's the crazy thing. I'm going to take it just one more step and then we're done. If that's true about you, then that's true about every soul that you come eyeball to eyeball with. Everyone that you come eyeball to eyeball with is someone God designed, someone God created, someone God was willing to dive into the earth and rescue who needs rescuing. Every single soul has that kind of value. So now we get to this great commandment we talked about in the baptism part, right? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Let me just push on this a little bit. If you know how valuable you really are, how do you love your neighbor who's just that valuable? How do you love the people God put in front of you and puts next to you, puts in line in front of you at the store, or uh, even worse now that I live here, in line in front of you at parent pickup? <laughs> That's like the worst in the Walmart line, man. You see what people are really made of when you're trying to pick your kids up from school, right? Whatever's on the inside gets squeezed and comes out, but whatever that is, Jesus says that person has that kind of value. If you don't catch anything out this, this morning, catch this. You are incredibly valuable. God designed, designed this whole thing so that we can be among treasures and masterpieces that he sent his son in to rescue us. We were out of bounds. We were dead because we were out of bounds and he came for us. We were thinking wrong and he gave us a new way to think. That's pretty amazing. It's pretty crazy. That's insane value. I'm going to, in just a moment, I'm going to pray, but I want to tell you just kind of a funny story first. It's from history, but it's what happens to us when we miss this. There's a story told. It's about Alexander the Great. He was of Greece and a great military leader. During his brief years of rule, his army swept through most of the known world and they conquered everything in their path. Even the mighty Persian empire proved to be helpless before him. As his army marched through Persia, the soldiers went into the villages and cities and they took whatever they wanted. They got to the capital and they entered the palace of Darius, who was the emperor. And one soldier found an attractive leather bag. He looked inside and those were the crown jewels of Persia. 
But being ignorant of the value of any precious stone, the soldier looked at them for a moment, decided they were just worthless, shiny rocks, and dumped them out. But he kept the leather bag. And he was seen time and time again carrying his prize fine, a leather bag, and boasting of this attractive container he used to just carry his food. I think sometimes we miss what's really valuable here on earth. We're walking around chasing a leather bag. We're walking around chasing things that aren't valuable. We're walking around and bragging about things that we possess that don't have actual value in eternity. Let's not miss it. Let's not miss it. So here's my prayer. I'm praying that God would change our vantage point. He changed the way we look. He changed the way we see things, that he would lift our eyes to a place where we begin to see what he sees. Because if we see what he sees, we'll love what he loves and eventually we'll begin to do what he does. Would you stand with me? We've had an amazing time. I hope you've enjoyed being here. We celebrated people going public with our faith, but I want you to understand this. This is a a story, our story is a rescue story. And it's a rescue story of a good father who loves us so much that he saw and sees our plight. And so he initiated in the fullness of time a moment to come to earth and intercept us, rescue us. And the scriptures simply say, if you change the way you think about who he is and you believe, and then you declare that and you go public with that, you're saved. And that's what we do here. We just believe, we confess, and we live for Jesus. So I'd like for you to just bow your heads with me for just a moment, not because it's more spiritual to close your eyes, but because it's private. And uh, I'm just, if you're here this morning and you've seen this whole cycle and maybe you got drug here. I'm not sure how you got here. Someone promised you lunch or, uh, you, know, there, there was, you know, someone told you there'd be good looking folks here. I don't know how they got you here, but I'm glad you are here. But maybe today is your day. You didn't take the plunge here in the water baptism tank. Don't worry, we'll do that again. But maybe you take the step of just saying from this point forward, I've been trying, but I'm drowning. And I need to take a step of faith And I'm going to repent. I'm going to acknowledge that I haven't been thinking right. I haven't been behaving right. I'm not a victim to that anymore. But with the power of Jesus, I'm going to be transformed. I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm going to believe. And no one's looking around. This is private. And you you can just do that today. If that's you, would you just lift a hand just so I know that's you? I'm going to acknowledge that. Yeah, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I'll wait. I see that hand. I see that hand. Anybody else? We're not in a hurry. I see that hand. All right, you can put your hands down. Jesus, we understand that it's not about repeating a fancy prayer that gets us saved. It's acknowledging in our heart, believing in our heart that you've come for us. John 3.16, we quote it all the time, but God so loved the world, he sent his only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. That's the goal. That's the plan. That's the strategy. And no one is here by accident. So for many in this room, I count as seven that we're willing to go public right now and say, that's me. I just pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you would would do what only you could do. 
would we invite you in our hearts? Would we begin to change the way we think? Would we get into the word, into your promises? Would the Holy Spirit of God come and by the power that you possess, Holy Spirit, would you transform? Would you make new? Would you revive? God, for those of us who have simply responded but maybe forgotten our worth, so many in this room struggling with just their value, would you remind us the value we have, it's not about what we've done. It's not by works. It's because of who created us and what they were willing to pay. It's because of you. Would you restore and revive for us our value? And would you help us to see everyone else we go eyeball to eyeball with as someone who has that value too? We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The prayer teams are going to come up, and especially if you have just begun this journey and you'd like to be prayed for, um, they'll be up here, and they'll be willing to pray with you. We love you. God bless you. We'll be here next week. Come on back. We'll keep diving in, all right? Have a great week in the Lord.